Hi, everyone. Back at you with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights, where we keep it unscripted, real, and interesting. Yes, we are definitely unscripted, Peter. But interesting, I think we should maybe let our listeners make that determination. What we are here to do, though, is to give you our latest thoughts and perspectives on what is going on in the securities lending industry, whether that be about demand trends or what is happening across the market. And now to our episode. Let's go. Hi, everybody. It's Peter Bassler here, joined by my two co-hosts who are always here and always great, Brooke Gilman and Jim Maroney. How's it going, guys? Good. We got an always great this week. I was feeling a little bit bruised from last week, so I like the early acknowledgement to boost my ego. Thank you, Peter. Sounded like sarcasm to me. (laughs) Only our audience make their own determination. Are you going to first, should we start off with getting the report on how your birthday party went that we were excluded from? Yeah, it was great. It involved, you know, a lot of hanging out in Brooklyn. It involved a brewery, a very nice dinner, very close tier one friends, a lot of laughs and a great birthday cake with a candle that said old AF. And I don't know if everyone understands what that means, but I'll just leave it at that. It's a saying today. AF on the end of anything. Sure. And so basically it's an acknowledgement that you hit some sort of significant mark in your trajectory of life. Correct. You're on the other side. Correct. So I can check the box now that I've adequately celebrated my 50th birthday after I turn 51. It's a COVID situation. All right. Okay. Anything else to report? Jim, how's it going? It's good. Thank you. Market's been pretty busy keeping us busy this last week. I'm doing something this weekend. I'm going to a Portuguese restaurant for dinner, which is- uh, Were you golfing in Florida last weekend? I was, yeah. Oh yeah, did you win another trophy? Do you have another one to add to the mantle? I won nothing. Did someone else win something though? Like, was there a trophy to be had? Almost everybody won something, Brooke. And again, I did not. But thank you for making me say that three times. I lost, I stunk. It was a terrible weekend but I had fun with my friends. So let's talk about the market. Every day, every morning, we hear from Jim and a number of other people, also including Brooke. I'm not sure why I'm not on the roster, but that's a different discussion. Many times I zone out. I don't listen. I'll be honest. Okay. But this week, Jim talked about two names as it related to the shorts in the market. I thought it was spot on. So, Jim, can you talk about that day and those two names and what it means for our space? Because I thought that was very instructive. Yeah, I think it's indicative of where we are in the market. And it's funny, we later that night, this is two days ago, we talked about it in our morning meeting. And while I was eating dinner, it's kind of 6.30 or so, I was watching Jim Kramer on CNBC and he was talking about the exact same thing we were talking about with the exact same take. So I think... Instead of us listening to folks like Kramer and then reporting on it, it's the other way around. Somehow he's in on our morning meetings. He takes my two cents. So we were looking at Avis, which was up a couple of days ago, about 100% in trading action off of good earnings news, but it wasn't that good. And so what we think that was, was kind of panic on hedge funds perspective, guys who were short and they were covering. And so that pushed the price up excessively. It softened a bit yesterday. And again, today, so for sure, that was short covering. We saw the same thing yesterday morning, pre-market, Bed Bath & Beyond was up, I want to say almost 60%. 
close the day up multiple double digits, 30 or 40%. So again, same issue. These are names that are highly shorted. They're looking at 25, 30% short interest, not trading special, mind you though. Still kind of 25, 50 bips. So that's behavior that's concerning to me. I think it's new behavior. You rarely see that sort of short covering. And Kramer was saying, this is the meme effect and we're going to see more of this. Could be the case. We certainly don't like that. Essentially, it's, it's panic and I'm out before we have an Archego situation on our hands. And so when risk takers make decisions that have very little to do with the fundamentals of that company and everything to do with technicals, it's a little scary for us in terms of extracting value from lending securities. So I, I didn't like to see that. I don't like to see that. But on the bright side, we did have a couple of rights announced in Europe yesterday and today. We saw just a couple hours ago, Bright Sphere Investment Group, which is a Boston company. I think the ticker is BSIG US. And they announced a tender at a significant discount. So they're paying 31 and a half for a stock that's trading at 30. So there's quick math on that. There's a dollar and a half in it. They won't accept all shares. They're buying back roughly 40% of the issue. So we think there's probably a total of 60 cents in that right now, which means you typically split it with the hedge funds. So 30 cents per share is how I see that value. So for take no action, it has to be for somebody who's against an index and not looking to take that 31 and a half. So good to see that come. I thought we might've been done for the year in terms of deals getting announced, but this is going to happen in a month. They're jamming it in before year end. So I like to see that. It's keeping us busy. And it's certainly, as we've talked about in prior podcasts, it's driving revenue this year, which is a little bit different than normal when you usually see intrinsic value driving revenue with the augment of M&A and IPOs. And what about the news this morning on Credit Suisse? And I appreciate it's still just out exiting the prime brokerage business. Do you have much of a view, maybe more thinking about it since, again, it's early to say what that really means for specific books of business where people might have exposure to Credit Suisse? But can you talk about what that might mean for the landscape more broadly in terms of positioning amongst other borrowers and where perhaps you could see shifts in demand? And do you think the market ultimately absorbs it without any real blip or do you sort of see a void left? Yeah, market will absorb it. Deutsche just exited the equity prime business. And so Credit Suisse is just doing that, saying, listen, this isn't the business we want to be in. It's probably on the back of the credit issue with Archegos that they had. And so right. they're looking at it and saying, it's not a Credit Suisse credit issue. They'll wind down the book, I would imagine, orderly, and it'll get absorbed by there's every day there's new small PBs popping up. There's mid-sized PBs making a bigger push into that business. And so it's really just the cycle of people getting out, people getting in the business. So from a lending standpoint, it's business as usual. It'll just shift from them. Those pipes, somebody, a hedge fund who has pipes at Credit Suisse also has pipes at JP Morgan, Goldman, Morgan, Scotia, BMO. So it'll just shift somewhere else. And it's unfortunate for everyone involved, but it's the way this business has been for the last 10 years. How's that for a non-answer answer? That was about what I was going to expect, but uh, I appreciate it nonetheless. Yeah. We don't like seeing it, but it's just shifting of the landscape. Yeah. Can I ask a different question? So ETFs, I was on the phone with a prospect today who was talking about their ETF book being mm -hmm. important to them as a transition when they're changing managers or they don't know what to do with certain asset pools for a time being, and that they were talking to their agent and to the sponsor of the ETF about how do I select ETFs and how do I bring in lending considerations into that, right? Because not all ETFs are going to be created equal as far as lending potential. 
Mm-hmm. If you're somebody who's buying ETFs, how would you advise them on that? Maybe advise <laughs> is the wrong word, but like, how would you think about that? Yes. Yeah. Advise is most certainly the wrong word. Yeah. I think the liquidity of that underlying ETF and the index it tracks largely dictate what kind of lending revenue you can generate from it. So you need liquidity. If hedge funds are going to use ETFs as a way to short either a sector or a market or a big broad index, they want liquidity. When they get in, they want to get out. They don't want to move. They don't want days to cover being massive and them having to kind of leg out of something over a 40 or 50 day period. And some ETFs are very illiquid and others, the SPY is the most liquid asset in the world, I think, on the equity side. So I would just focus on that, which they probably do anyway for other considerations in addition to SEC lending. But as long as there's liquidity and the index is something that is established, you'd be in good shape, I think. What about the hottest or the most lucrative ETFs right now in the lending market? What that says about where we are and what's coming? Like HYG and JMK have been special for a long time, right? For example, that says something about the high yield market, right? Like, are, are there other examples of that? Yeah, it says something about the high yield market, but it says a lot about technicals drive it too. So with ETFs, you can create and redeem. And so this week, in fact, we saw a large redemption in the market of HYG. And so when you see that, it changes the supply demand dynamics. And so there's less supply, but demand probably hasn't changed. All else being equal, you need more supply. Rates go up when there isn't enough supply. So that isn't really one, like on a week like this week where we're re-rating JNK and HYG a little bit more special. It's not because it's not an indictment on the high yield market. It's more an indictment on the technicals and the supply and demand being out of balance. So, I mean, I'm not in a seat where I see enough to make determinations as to what shorting an ETF would mean relative to the underlying assets or index that it tracks. I just look at it as purely supply and demand. And ETFs are tricky stocks. And, telling everybody what they already know, but there's a fixed float for the most part. And for ETFs, it's a variable float. So when you have that dynamic, it really overlays everything else. I think here we are November 4th, over the next six, seven weeks into the holiday season, we're going to see a heavy usage of ETF as ways to flatten out risk, ways to pick a position that kind of keeps you where you want to be relative to your benchmark and the performance you've had thus far in 2021. It's almost always the case. We see very, very heavy usage of ETFs at year end. Thank you. We've had a couple of auctions over the past month or so, which obviously gave us a pretty interesting insight into where people are currently placing value and pricing out certain markets where they're willing to perhaps step up and place a premium on the assets to have the exclusive right. Knowing what we experienced and frankly, the positive, I mean, the whole theme of last week was, is you were in a real good mood because we had such positive auction results and if anything, we're kind of pleasantly surprised with the levels that we saw, knowing that we're preparing for further auctions between now and year end. And then a bunch, you know, after the new year, what were the conversations like with some of the dealers post the auction, especially maybe those that might not have been as competitive as maybe they thought they were and didn't receive an allocation to a particular market or something, were there any sort of aha moments or surprises or, you know, what are those conversations like, especially as you think about prepping for further marketing of additional assets? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Sometimes people put in bids where they say, this is the value to me. If I get it, great. If I don't, I also understand that somebody else is going to have more value in it. And then there's other times people are surprised. They thought they had best bid. Many times when we have those difficult conversations, when somebody loses an exclusive, 
it's an incumbent who thought they bid top of the market, but the market's changed around them. And so maybe their perspective is a little bit different because they have that captive supply. So they're not out borrowing and they don't know how difficult it's been to borrow that away. I think the themes, when we can continue with this supply demand theme, and I've been thinking a lot about the results we had of the auctions recently, and they're generally positive. But what it's saying, I think, is small caps in markets where supply and demand are imbalanced continue to receive exclusive premiums. And that changes. And so if you look at developed markets, US, Canada, UK, even Japan, small caps aren't as in demand as they are in more esoteric markets. All of Asia x Japan, in you have a handful of small Eastern European markets, and, and that's about it. You know, these developed markets, there is a ton of supply and demand is lower or flat at best. And a lot of the demand that exists is GC-ish. It's easy to borrow names. So with a lot of supply, I guess more fits into just by definition, more fits into the easy to borrow bucket if you have more supplies. I guess that was my kind of high level takeaway is it's the same fundamentals that are driving our exclusive bids and the auction theory behavior that we see on auction day. You know, 15 years ago, it was probably the exact same underlying kind of fundamentals driving those bids higher. Just today, it is more concentrated in some of these smaller, less developed countries. But that cycles through. That'll come back. And so whether it's the US or Canada, UK, Japan, it'll all come back over the next year, two years. It just cycles in and out based on a whole lot of things. I'm still cheery about our auction results. I think it proved our model well. Cheery. Cheery sounds interesting going into the holidays. Yes. I saw my first Christmas commercial yesterday. It was November 3rd. I was very disappointed. That's too early. There should be a rule on that. When and where do you watch commercials? I was watching a commercial on TV at night when I was watching a show. <laughs> you know, more, you can tape that and fast forward. Yeah, that. and more just reflecting on, on the fact that you don't know that you can either do things on demand or record, for instance, and fast forward or skip. I like to watch Family Feud while I eat dinner. I have a fun fact for you. This isn't quite as fun because I wasn't involved. It's kind of, I was apparently tier three in this regard as well. But my family was on the Family Feud. And my sister at the time was the youngest contestant that had ever been on the Family Feud. She's sort of obnoxious in her brain power and letting everyone know that she's the smartest person in the room. But she was then as well. She was nine years old and on the Family Feud and they won. That's very cool. Yeah. How many days did you win? Did you get a chance at a brand new car? I forget what the actual take home was. We still have it, although we don't have anything to play it on, but we probably still have it on VHS that should be transferred to digital, I'm sure. But she won and she took her prize money and I think probably, you know, put it in a bank account for who knows what later in life and also bought herself a brand new Schwinn bicycle. Great. (laughs) All right, well, let's wrap it up. Thanks everyone for listening and let us know what you think about the music at the beginning and the end, which is a new wrinkle for us. And not to mention my disclaimer. Very impressive legal disclaimer voice, I'd like to add. Well done, Brooke. Bye, all. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope we left you with something interesting and productive to utilize in your daily securities lending activities. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to ESEC Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based on such information. Thank you for listening.